Oh, Father, we, we look to you now. I know that just apart from your spirit, this is a, a vain exercise. God, opening your word. Um, God, because we can learn it academically, and Father, it means nothing. Father, we can learn it devotionally, and it, it comes to mean everything to us. And so, Lord, would pray that even this morning we would, God, hear these words and embrace them deep into our hearts. God, that they would affect us, God, just in our, in our hearts, in our minds, that we would embrace the reality of what your scriptures say. Father, that we would believe in you and your word and follow after your way. I, I just pray right now, even you would help me just to discern what to say and how to say it, God, in the right and appropriate way to lead us to Christ, that we might see him in all his glory, that we might trust in him with all of our hearts, God, for all of our lives. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Christian life is a life of following. I'm not sure if you realize that or not. I, I, I trust you do. When Jesus was on earth, the call he made was said, If anyone would come after me, he says, Let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and let him follow me. That is, turn in repentance from your sins and see Jesus and follow him. He says, uh, Come and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a, it's a coming and following after the ways of Christ. Christians are, are literally Christ ones, the one who follow after Jesus. We learn from him and follow the example that he set. But it's not just Jesus that we follow. Now, we do, okay. But we also follow those who follow Jesus. As, as Paul said, we follow, he said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That is right. As, as Paul's life imitated the life of Jesus... So we were to follow Paul in that he imitated the life of Christ. And that means that other godly leaders that lead us in the way of Christ, we are to follow. And that comes down even to the local level. We have local pastors and spiritual leaders. Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. In other words, right, see the people you know who profess to be followers of Christ and as you contemplate their faith and see how they lived and as they represent Christ and live in a right way, follow after them. That is what a life of, of a Christian is. It's following. It's following Christ. It's following others that follow after him. Um, but it's not only New Testament examples that we follow after that are worthy examples. There are also Old Testament examples as well. For us to follow. And one prominent example in the scriptures is that of the life of, of Abraham. My message is titled this morning, Follow the Faith of Abraham. Because that's what it is. It's a, the, the thrust of our message, a big application of it. It says you still look at Abraham, look at his faith, and you follow in that way right after that. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We've been in Romans 4 now. I think this is our fourth week. We're just finishing it, Lord willing, today. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 941 in the Pew Bible, just right there in front of you. would encourage you to look along because the things I say really just is everything that Paul says here in, in Romans chapter 4. And we're going to finish this morning, Lord willing, from verses 18 through the end of the chapter. But if you remember anything from the, the few messages that I've, I've given here in Romans chapter 4, I trust that you remember this chapter has been all about Abraham. It's been about Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. His name is mentioned seven times. 
And in fact, uh, I counted some 26 other times that pronouns, him, or, or his, or he, or you, talking about Abraham, was referred to. So you, you add those up, 26 plus 7 is uh, whatever, 33. That, that means that Abraham is mentioned about one and a half times every verse. Of course, he can't be mentioned half a time in a verse unless the verse split in the middle. It doesn't work. But you know what I mean. Like the average household is 2.3 kids or whatever. You can't have a .3 kid. But on average, right, we see Abraham mentioned a lot. And Paul's burden in this chapter is simple. He really wants to show us that the gospel he's proclaiming is, is no different than the gospel that has always been. In other words, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we believe God. And it's counted to us as righteousness. Last week, I I gave you a picture. I want to show it to you again because I want it to lodge in your memory because this is what it's about. Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. And the way that works is that Abraham's faith went up and God's righteousness came down to Abraham. And what's true of Abraham is true of us. Look at Romans chapter 4 verse 5. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So we think about ourselves to the Lord. Our faith goes up and God's righteousness comes down. That's how we are made righteous before the Lord. Now, the only thing different between us and Abraham is, is perhaps the object of our faith. Um, because Abraham never knew of Jesus by name. And I doubt he fully understood justification by By faith alone, through the sacrifice of Christ, that's the only way that God can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I'm not sure he understood all the implications of the atonement. But what Abraham did know, he believed. And and, and what did he know? He, He knew that God had promised him a direct promise to bless him and his offspring. And he believed that promise. And God then counted it to him as righteousness. Now, our object of faith is not a a direct promise orally from God to us personally in our situation of life, whatever that is. Our promise really is to to believe that God gave His his Son, Jesus, the Messiah, to be crucified for our sins, to be our sacrifice for us in our place. That, That we might believe that His raising from the dead is our justification. And we know that if we believe in Christ, God will count it to us. It's righteousness. And and that comes, by the way, before any religious work that we do. Paul made that that clear in Romans chapter 4, verse 10, when when Abraham was counted righteous before he was circumcised. In, In other words, it wasn't his circumcision first and then his faith. It was his faith and then his circumcision. And likewise, when Paul, Paul's point in Romans 4, 13, is that the the promise came first and then the law. <clears throat> in other words, it wasn't the law, and then he kept these works and duties, and then he was justified by faith. No, it was he was justified by faith, counted righteous before the law was given. And that comes to us to say that our justification before the Lord doesn't depend on some religious ritual we do, whether that's that's baptism or the Lord's Supper. It doesn't depend upon circumcision, maybe some act that we do. It doesn't depend upon keeping the law or or following some sort of set of rules, scriptural or otherwise. No, our justification before God comes only through our, our faith in Him. Faith in Him alone. In fact, that's the whole point of Romans 4. If you get that picture right there, 
that we believe the Lord, he gives it to us as righteousness, you've got Romans chapter 4. In fact, that's how Paul summarizes Romans chapter 4. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's saying this. Therefore, this is the conclusion that we must draw from everything I've said before, from the end of, from all of chapter 4, and from the life of Abraham. Here it is, that we are justified by faith. And our call today, the verses, is really to follow in the faith of Abraham. So listen as I read Romans 4, verses 18 through 25. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. My first point this morning is simply this. Believe in God's promises. Believe in God's promises. I mean, that's that's exactly what Abraham did. He believed in God's promises, and it wasn't easy. Listen to verses 18 through 20 again, how difficult it was. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. You remember the promise that God gave to Abraham? The the Lord took him out late one night, had him look up at the stars and the the darkness of the night. He, He said, count them if you can. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Now, that wouldn't be so difficult to believe on the one hand. Um... Except that he was a little on the older side. In less than a month, I'm turning 50. And I'm just kind of, that's, that's, like, that's like I'm more than halfway done with my life. As I, as I think about it, the Bible says, right, 70 years of strength, 80. And um, just kind of right, right where I am. And uh, I'm the father of five children. And I can, I can think of them growing into be a father, to be a, a nation. I can think about that. But... But if I, I can hardly think about being a father again. And here was Abraham, nearly twice my age, when God told him that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. And here he was, childless at age 99. And Sarah was, was 90. Um, we have any 90-year-olds here today? We have got one. Shirley's way out there in the hallway lit, sitting next to Phil. So I was thinking about this passage, Shirley. I was thinking about you. I'm glad you're here today. And um, can you imagine having a child? 
Well, she's, you're 92, right? So you're, you're beyond what Sarah was. But imagine that. You're 90 years old. God says, I'm going to give you a child. I mean, children simply aren't born to 90-year-olds. Uh, Guinness Book of World Records. This is um, Dawn Brook. And she gave natural birth to her child at age 59 years of age. That's, that's kind of old. She was taking some hormonal supplements or whatever. And, and um, with artificial fertilization, one, the, the record is 66 years of age because this lady lied going into the doctors and got some whatever, um, artificial fertilization things. Both of those are amazing. Whether that's uh, 59 or 66, um, but they're still a long way off from 90. And a lot happens between 56 and 90. And, and from what we know in the Bible, the Guinness Book of World Records is wrong, right? Because we see Sarah at 91 giving birth. But Abraham had every reason in the world to doubt the promises of God. And yet we read in verse 18 that he believed. In hope, he believed against hope. That is right, when all natural hope seemed lost, Abraham continued to believe. And it's not that Abraham had this like, like blind faith, like, okay, I'm, I'm just believing, not, not thinking about the facts or whatever, just, okay, you say this and I'll, I'll believe it. No, he thought about it. He, he contemplated it. In fact, look at verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. That is, he, he really thought about it. He, if you will, almost maybe he took out a, a pencil and a paper and really said, okay, so let, 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 me, let me think about this. And, and he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was around 100 years old. He, he thought about his body. He thought about how old he was. He thought about the possibility of being a father. And his conclusion, his body was as good as dead. I mean, no way that he was able to have a child at his age. That's, that's what he thought. So in his mind, he thought, no way. And, and in verse 19, I mean, it, it speaks about how, how accurately he looked at things. I mean, he wasn't like a, a 50-year-old who thinks he can still play ball with the 20-year-olds. He wasn't Michael Jordan playing for the Wizards, trying to live out his young dream. No, he knew full well that his days were washed up. He, he knew full well his fathering days were over. He knew that in his mind. Uh, and when he considered Sarah's body, you can look at it just, just right there. Um, verse, verse 19. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. She was barren, never had any children. She was 90. I mean, if she hadn't given birth in the first 90 years of her life, what would lead him to believe that in the 91st year that she would give birth? Abraham rightly considered himself as dead, rightly considered Sarah as dead. And in light of these insurmountable difficulties, Abraham believed. He didn't weaken his faith. He didn't waver in his faith. He grew strong in his faith, and in doing so, he gave glory to God. In fact, that's exactly what verse 19 says. Look for the word weaken and, and waver and growing strong and giving glory to God. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, the very things that could have pulled him down didn't. I mean, like, like, the, like the facts of his life were working against the promise of his God. His age, his wife's age, had no effect upon his faith. If anything, he grew stronger, verse 20, and God was greatly glorifying. God, God was greatly glorified. And, and our message today is that we need to follow the faith of Abraham. And I think about how timely this is for us, because I know several of you have some very difficult, if not seemingly insurmountable, difficulties in your life that you're dealing with just right now. I mean, in in any life, there's seasons of blessing and seasons of trial. And I know that some of you, because I've talked to you, are facing some great trials in your life. I've talked to you. Yvonne has talked to you. We've been praying for you. Just even last night before we went to to sleep, I was talking with Yvonne about this text. And we just prayed for as many people as we knew were going through particular trials in our church body. And I know that some of you are dealing difficulties with your children, and some of you difficulties with marriage, and, and I know that um, some financial difficulties, and I know that there are some of you, I know, maybe I don't know very well, or, or there are deep things in your life that I don't know about, you haven't told me about yet, that are experiencing difficulties and pains and trials today, some major decisions maybe stirring in your mind, or some relational conflicts that, that you're facing, and, and, and whatever is your particular trial, if things are really difficult for you now, I'm simply going to ask you, are you going to follow the faith of Abraham? Are you going to trust in the promises of God? That's the thrust. Now, unlike Abraham, we haven't received this direct revelation from God, right? Audible voice spoken about your situation. But we do have promises in God's word that we can rest upon and turn to. And in fact, I think perhaps the best one it's very famous, most well-known, Romans 8.28. And here this is so applicable to any of you with any particular problems in, in your life or trials. Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Are you going to trust this promise? I mean, just, just think about what this promise says. Is that God has promised, if you love God... And if you're called according to his purpose, this verse says that God is working it out for your good. Or as the New American Standard translates, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That, that you may not understand how in the world it might be the case with you. Like, like how in the world is this situation? How is God working that for good? In my life, in the the life of others, you can sit down with pen and paper in hand and try to figure it out. And you may come to the right conclusion that there is no way out, humanly speaking. There's just no way. And I'd say, join Abraham's club. When all seems lost, when there's hope, no hope. In hope, he believed against hope. Are you going to believe? Because that's right where Abraham was. He, he, he saw no conceivable way that God would fulfill his promise. I don't think he figured it out and said, oh, I know what's going to happen, da 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 I think he had no clue how God was going to fulfill that promise, but he trusted that, that God did. He became strong in faith and gave glory to God. How many of you pray for God to be glorified in your life? Isn't that the easy way to end prayers, right? God, may all that you do give glory to you. 
May all that may give glory to you. May give glory to you. Uh, may it just be that that you trusting God for some impossible situation in your life, believing God despite the fact that there is no hope, is the very path to which God will be glorified in your life. See, it's one thing to trust God when all is well, right? When you're in great health, it's great, great to praise God, right? Or or when when finances are good and and there's wealth there, it's great. It's easy to praise God. Or when your family is doing well, it's easy to praise God. But when things aren't going well and you still trust God, God is particularly glorified, I believe, in a better way than even when he prospers us. Isn't that Job, right? Satan came to Job and said, oh, the only reason he praises you is because you prosper him. But... um, but touch him, and he'll stop. And as, and as Satan came and, and destroyed all of his wealth and destroyed all of his family and then destroyed him, he still remained faithful to the Lord, giving great glory to God, still trusting in him. Even though, by the way, you read Job, you have no idea. You don't understand Job at all. Job didn't understand. We don't fully understand, even though we get all the backstory. But that gave Great glory to God as we sang today. You give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in Abraham's case, it says you've promised. And so I'm, I'm just going to hope on that. Even when there is no hope. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, it says, For in this hope we were saved. Right? This, this, this hope that we have, that we are just trusting that God will, will work for us. And hope that's not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And that's exactly what Abraham was doing. He was waiting for God's promise with patience in his life. In fact, Phil read for us from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. And if you just read through there, you can look at these people believe. They went through intense and fiery difficulties and trials. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a smooth bed of roses that was leading these people in, in Hebrews chapter 11 to go. I mean, I mean listen about it. They, it says in, um, in, um, in verse 36, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and maltreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should be made perfect. In other words, right, they went through all this trial, and they trusted God, and they never knew the promise in their lifetime. But they were giving so much glory to God that God says, men of whom this world is not worthy. And these are the very ones who glorified God greatly. And so I just ask you, right, in your trial, are you glorifying God by believing and trusting in Him that in Romans 8, 28, God is working it together for good? That's how Abraham responded. Are you growing strong in faith? That's what he did. He didn't weaken. He didn't waver. He grew strong in faith. And so you say, how can I grow strong in faith? Well, verse 21, I think, holds the key. It speaks of the power of God, the power of God to fulfill his promise. Here it is. Follow the faith of Abraham by believing God's promises and believing in God's power. Look there, verse 21. 
we got to back up to verse 20 to catch it, right? No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. In other words, the sustaining power and fuel of Abraham's faith was his trust in an all-powerful God who could do whatever it is that he promised. And Abraham here, it says, he was fully convinced that God could fulfill his promises. So you want to say strong in faith? Well, believe in God's power, right? Believe that God can do all things. If I look back at verse 17, speaking of, of Abraham, it says, it's written, I have made you, Abraham, the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Abraham knew that he is the one who gives life from the dead. Abraham knew that God is the one who created the world out of nothing but by the sheer power of his spoken word. And if God can do that, certainly he can give life through a dead womb of an old woman. And in that he believed. See, when you believe in an all-powerful God, all things are possible. Maybe you remember the story of Genesis 18, when the Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre. He lifted up his eyes, and all of a sudden he saw three men just appear right before him. As it turns out, they're no ordinary men. One is identified as the Lord, probably the pre-incarnate Christ, though that's a message for another time. Because it says that these, these three were men, but the Lord spoke to them. And one of them, who's identified as the Lord, says this, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Remember Sarah's response? This 90-year-old in the tent who can hear everything because they're just tent curtains? <laughs> she yitzaked. She Isaaced. She laughed. And uh, she said, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? In other words, right? I'm old. My husband is old. Shall I have a child finally when I'm old? And listen to what the Lord said to Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Let these words echo deep into your hearts. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You want to grow strong in faith? You ask yourself that question. Is anything too strong for the Lord? And the answer to that question, of course, is no. And this, it's interesting, that's the very thing that Gabriel, the angel, said to Mary. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born this day will be called Holy, the Son of God. There's miraculous. There's a God who can do anything. And says, behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is her sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary believed. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary believed. And just trust. It's not impossible. I don't see and understand. How can it be? I'm just a virgin. Nothing's too impossible. Okay, I just, I trust. Now she had an example of Elizabeth that was good. And we have examples all over the place of great things that God has done that we can look back to the scriptures that we can speak with people. Just talk with the Hennings. We had dinner with them on Friday night. If you want to see the power of God in a life, our God in their lives. And what's encouraging about Sarah is this, that though she initially laughed in unbelief, she came around to believe the promise of God. Phil read, 
Hebrews 11, 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah looked at the character of God, saw he was a faithful and able God who can do all that he promised. And so, church family, I just encourage you, right? Believe the promises and believe in God's power. And when we put both those two things together, that's when you'll live a life of faith. Just believing these things that God says and believing you bring it to pass, even if you don't know how he's going to bring it to pass. Because that's exactly what it was with Abraham. He did not know how it was going to, to take, take place. I love what Kent Hughes says about the interaction of faith and reason. He says that some people are under the impression that when a person has faith, he inwardly agrees to ignore the facts. They see faith and facts as mutually exclusive. Faith without reason is fideism. It's the ism name for that. Fideism, you just believe anything without any proof or facts. But reason without faith is rationalism, which won't believe. And you, can't, you put both of these together because there must be no reduction of faith to reason. Can't use saying. Likewise, there must be no reduction of reason to faith. Biblical faith is a composite of the two. Abraham did not make an unreasonable leap of faith, contrary to what Kierkegaard might argue we do when we believe in Christ. Abraham full knew well of the difficulties facing him, but he also knew full well of the power of the one giving him the promises, and he believed in the Lord, verse 21, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, what I find encouraging here is that... um, these words, speaking of the faith of Abraham and Sarah, they're like, they're like all positive. But Abraham and Sarah had their doubts. I mean, Sarah laughed in chapter 18. Sarah and Abraham tried to do this thing with Hagar to try to figure out some human way out of it. But yet when Paul mentions Abraham and Sarah, he doesn't mention any of these problems which should be deeply encouraging to us that just as Paul wasn't focused upon the failures of their faith, but commended their faith, which was genuine by the time he was conceived and born, I'm sure. So also, God, God's just looking for progression in us. He doesn't just bang on your unbelief or your failure in those sorts of things. Instead, it's hearts for us to grow in faith. Remember Jesus, he talked about if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So God's not looking for a lot when he's looking for faith in our lives. And he finds whatever little there is. So I come back in this question, right? How, how can I grow strong in faith? Now, believing the power of God is, is one in verse 21. I think there's another key, and it comes in the, the mood of the verb in verse 20. Now, you don't see it in the ESV. The NAS doesn't have it, but the New King James does it very well. Grew strong is in the passive voice, meaning it, it happened to him. A, a better way, like the New King James translates this, is that Abraham was strengthened in his faith. In other words, right? Abraham didn't dig deep into his soul to find some kind of faith muscle in there that he finally found and, and exercised it a lot so it grew strong. No, instead it was God working on his heart to grow him strong in faith because he was strengthened in faith. And the best way to do that, right? How, how, do, you, how do you be strengthened in faith? It's by looking to the Lord. Great story. I'm not sure if you remember it with Jesus. A man came with a child with an evil spirit. 
that would, would often cause him to, to fall down and roll on the ground and foam at the mouth. And sometimes he'd been gone into the fire and sometimes into a, a lake. And, and this man said to Jesus, if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father, the child, cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's the way you grow strong in faith, to say, God, you know what, I believe, but it's hard. And I help my unbelief, right? You, God, come in and grant me the faith that I need. So you're facing difficulties where you see God's promises telling you one thing and everything that you calculate and figure out telling you another thing. Say, God, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Well, quickly, let's move on. So we transition to the Lord's Supper here real soon. I just say this, believe in the Scriptures. Because this is where it comes to us. This is where I get the whole idea about how we need to follow the faith of Abraham, is that we need to believe in the Scriptures. Look at verse 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. So in other words, when God told Abraham that he was justified by faith, it wasn't for Abraham that that was written. Well, it was. It wasn't for his only, right? But God also wrote it because he wanted us to hear along the side. To hear and say, oh, he was counted as righteous. Oh, I, I see that and understand that. Because he wants us to know that this is the way to obtain righteousness is through faith alone. Look look again at verse 24. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, what what he says is, Abraham was justified by faith, and so likewise we who believe will be justified by faith. There's where you see the example of, of Abraham all comes together. That's where you see follow the faith of Abraham because this wasn't written just for him. It was written for us that he was justified by faith alone. And and, uh, Paul says much the same thing in Romans 15 verse 4. He says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. In other words, that's why God gives us a Bible to teach us about his ways and how he deals with people and for our instruction. And the prominent thing we learn about Abraham is the way of justification. It's not through merit. It's not through works. It's not through some kind of righteousness that you get. It's through the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It comes to us when we believe the promises of the gospel. And that's, by the way, just a sidelight. That's how the Bible works. Verses 23 and 24. Is it that God says things, but it, he knows that he's saying things with another future audience in mind? But don't miss this. I've said it often, but it is the key to Bible interpretation, is that the Bible is not written to us. It's not. I heard this before. This is God's love letter to you. It's not. It's written to Jews. It's written to churches and pastors of the first century. But here's what it is. It is written for us. It's not written to us, but it is written for us. And that helps your Bible interpretation because it doesn't come straight to you. You've seen the picture. Remember when we preached through Leviticus? It was God speaking to Israel. And then we need to come to us from Israel, having understood that first communication. 
We don't go straight from Leviticus to us. We go from Leviticus to Israel through the cross to us. And that's how we understand things. But that's the idea. Verse 22, it was, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't written for his sake alone, but for ours. And there's many things in the Old Testament that teach us the ways of God, how he deals with man, how he teaches him how to live. And, and then if we look at the people, the examples of the Old Testament, we see that nobody lives up to God's standard of righteousness all are lawbreakers. And we need, we need something to solve that gap. And he teaches us of sacrifice. And the Old Testament is written for us to learn about this Savior. And the New Testament teaches us what that Savior is like. How he lived and died and, and rose again for our sins. And, and the New Testament is written for us to learn right what it is we're to believe and how it is that we are to live a godly life. And we come to us this morning, right? We, we learn from Abraham that the faith was counted to him as righteousness and our faith is counted to us as righteousness as well. Well, let's go lastly here to my, my last point. We'll transition to the Lord's Supper like this. Believe in the resurrection. Verse 24 and 25. But for our sake also it was written, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, I thought about entitling this point, right? Believe in Jesus or believe in the cross or believe in the Messiah. Um, but the emphasis of this verse just, just pushed me to the resurrection, right? Because he mentions the resurrection twice when talking about Jesus. That, that, that God will count our faith and trust in the one who raised Jesus from the dead as righteousness. Right? He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So when you're talking about Jesus, he talks about his, his resurrection. And then he talks about delivered up. That's his crucifixion. He doesn't even talk about dying, but just given up. And then he talks about resurrection again. So twice out of three things, he speaks about Jesus' resurrection. And you say, why? Well, I think there's a little illusion here. Verse 19, remember Abraham Consider his body as what? As dead. Needed to be raised from the dead. Sarah's womb was barren. If you look there, if you got an ESV, there's a little footnote down there. It says, but the Greek says dead. That Sarah's womb was dead. But God was the one who was able to raise the dead. Certainly he can raise a dead man from a dead womb of an old woman. To bring life, the promise, you will be a father of many nations. And if God is able to raise the dead, he's able to fulfill the promise to us. You say, what promises do we have? Well, Romans 5, I think it would be a good place. We'll look at these verses in more detail in weeks to come. But it says this, Romans 5, verse 6. Here's the gospel. Here's going to transition us to the Lord's Supper. While we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if... While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And that's, that's really what it's about. Is that God justified us when we were weak. Not when we were strong. It's when we were weak in need of help. God justified us when we were sinners in need of cleansing. God justified us when we were enemies of God and in need of reconciliation. It's then that through his blood, he reconciled us to himself through the cross. And our reconciliation to God only comes through faith and trust in him. Just like Abraham believed God and was counted him as righteousness. So let's bow our heads as we prepare for the, the Lord's Supper. Father, so even today, I just encourage you just to think. Think about your life. Think about your faith. Think about where it stands or falls. And I would encourage you to plead with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And where there are trials and difficulties and hardships and tribulations, I just give those to God. Say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand how it all works out, but I... I trust in you anyway. And the cross is about reconciling us. Sinners though we be, God demonstrated his own love toward us. That while we're yet sinners and angry with God, and he was angry with us in his wrath, he came and died for us. And the Lord's Supper is a chance where he, he likewise tells us to, to look to him and his death. So if you're here this morning and and you're a believer in Christ and you're trusting in Him, by all means, celebrate the the Lord's Supper. And yet, we're called to examine ourselves. If there's some sin you need to confess, I pray, encourage you to confess that before you celebrate the Supper. But if you're here and you're not believing in Christ, I fear for you. I don't fear for Don Mundell in any way because I know that he has trusted Christ but I fear for you if you're not. So I encourage you to cry upon, cry, cry out to the Lord in a time when he may be found. For today is a day of salvation. Repent of your sins. Take of the bread and drink of the cup. Not meritorious. This, this doesn't save. It saves our faith. But this is a way that Jesus told us to walk in obedience, to remember him by eating the bread and drinking the cup. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.